couple of weeks now, just getting on here and, uh, you know what I mean, developing just a, a conscious mindset, you know what I mean, growing together and just experiencing some, you know what I mean, communication about what the state of our culture is today and um, how we are all trying to make a better way for that and what we can do effectively. We're just traveling through different industries and trying to speak to people of um, who just have, you know, a, a nice catalog of experience in those industries and um, giving them the platform and the floor to kind of, you know, educate us on what that industry um, looks like for people of color um, and what it is that we can do to kind of enhance and make it better for people of color. And, um, and of course, giving them the platform to kind of, you know, give a shout out to whatever they personal efforts are, but um, Brian's joining now, guys. Brian Hines, thank you for joining, bro. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I got you, man. Cool, man. Oh, my guy. So, how's everything going? Doing good, man. Doing good. Um, thank you so much for your time, taking a second out to hop on this call with us. Um, just to give you a quick brief, this is a podcast called Build Our Own. Um, we are a syndicate of um, like minds that came together to basically speak on, you know, creating equity, justice, um, and change through education and, you know, financial empowerment. That's our goal and our effort. Um, we do so through these kind of conversations where we invite leaders in their industry out to kind of basically give us some insight on what it is to be in that industry as a person of color, uh, what it is that that industry is you know, lacking from our specific community. And of course, giving you the floor to kind of speak on whatever endeavors you're dealing with already that kind of can use our support because of course we want to you know, be active. Um, so Brian, before I let you take the floor, I just want to give a shout out to you know our my co-hosts. We have um of course Aquaeus Kelly, a good friend of ours. What's good, Brian? Of course. Good. How you doing, man? Yeah, great to hear you. We have uh, my boy Dark Kent, DJ Dark Kent, uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey. There, there we go again with the mute button. Nice to meet you, my brother. I appreciate you taking the time out, and I hope that we can uh, definitely gain a lot. And learn a lot. I also really got to say I love the 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 ease and aesthetics of your site. I'm in the process of building another site. So when he, I think he told us to check out Harry Capital like months ago. Right? I don't yeah, know, two, yeah. two, maybe two meetings ago. And yeah. um, they were they've that that website has been up on my bar because I really liked the aesthetics of it. Um, so yeah, I, I already feel like I'm learning and gaining. So I appreciate you. Awesome, no problem. Appreciate it. Um, next up is my good friend Idris Pitts. Peace, boss. What's going on? Thanks for coming. Thank you. No problem. Um, then we got a couple other guys. My man Mark, uh, one of our venture capitalist specialists. I don't know about specialists. I mean, I just <laughs> I work with uh, finance and I help businesses, so I'm definitely excited to see what you have, uh, you know, available and how we could you know, figure out a way to become a larger part of what you have available to us. Then, uh, we got our good friend Tafik Martins on here. He's in the cut. What's up, Brian? How you doing, man? 
What's up, man? How you been? Long time no here. All's well. Right, right there, you bro. Good, man. Then we got a special guest. Uh, my good guy, Matt Garrett, was able to join us today. But it's called. <laughs> what up, behinds? <laughs> Heard you was putting on the show, man. It was good. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I figured I'd hit you with that surprise. I don't think he was expecting that one. <laughs> that was an uppercut. I wasn't expecting yeah, that one. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm here in the background. Don't, don't mind me, man. I'm, just, I'm here for the no, show. That's about it. Actually, so. I, yeah, I, might have, I, I might actually might have to jump off right now. <laughs> <laughs> Matt is a heckler. I don't know if I want. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it cool, man. We we professional today, so I'm in the nah, middle of my work day right now. So you know, no, nah, nah, I'm glad to hear you, man. Glad, <laughs> glad. That's fine. So, <laughs> yeah, quick quick history on Brian Hines, man. A good friend of mine. I've known you for ten plus years now. Um, been able to see you go from the high school experience onto the many levels of. Um, career growth that you've endured. So if you want to, you can go ahead now and uh, just give a briefing on a, what your experience has been, your background and your resume, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess it's been a while, but I started off in trade as an accountant. Um, my dad was an accountant and went to undergrad for accountant, master's in accountant, all that good stuff and thought I was going to be a CPA and be like my dad. And um, I think, I don't know, as I was graduating, I quickly realized that that wasn't me and had to figure out what was me. And then I started on finance, worked on Wall Street for a while, um, you know, learned a lot, um, spent, I think, about a good three and a half years at J.P. Morgan and then went on to Morgan Stanley and UBS. And I think in between my time at J.P. Morgan and UBS, I'd realized that, you know, Wall Street wasn't for me. And if Wall Street wasn't for me, then what was I going to do next? Uh, and I actually you know, straddled between real estate and sports, but also realized that although sports was good, um, when I say sports, kind of sports industry, whether or not working for a league or something of the sort, um, not going back, my soccer days were over when I was in high school. <laughs> so, uh, but, but for me, it was, you know, what could I do that would also allow me to still be an entrepreneur and not just kind of still be an industry or a corporate person where I just had to go to my job, come home, and that was it. And where I could learn skill sets on the job that I can kind of take home or take to the masses and kind of, you know, disperse it amongst other folks more than myself. So I got into real estate by a colleague from J.P. Morgan. He was telling me about buying some properties, and I knew nothing about real estate. It was a three-family in Newark. And he said, hey, look, you know, if you do this, this, and this, you can buy the property with what they call as a first-time homebuyer's um, mortgage or something like that. I was like, I don't know what this thing is, but you know what, I'll, I'll give it a shot. You know, I knew numbers, and I knew that based on the numbers I ran, I could actually live at the property and, um, and get paid to live there and live rent-free and still make money. And I, for me, that was a win-win, and it made all the sense in the world. So I bought that first property where the first time home buyers where I think you literally put next to nothing down um, and you're able to buy, you know, property in it. And, and, and in Newark, New Jersey or Essex County, there's a lot of, um, you know, two and three family properties mm -hmm. where you can get decent rent on it, cover your mortgage and make, you know, decent um, income from it if you manage it appropriately. So that was really my first introduction to real estate uh, while I was still working. I did that, managed tenants, learned a lot, figured it out. 
um, got more, wanted to get, learn more about the industry and actually realized that I didn't like Wall Street anymore or finance anymore. And I said, well, hey, I'm doing this thing here on the side. I'm making money from it while I'm working. And it provides this kind of entrepreneurial um, you know, lifestyle for me, in a sense, because um, I was still working. And I said, well, hey, if I can turn this into my you know, profession, why not? You know, why not do that and still do this on the side and have your profession be your profession and also your entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial um, hustle or endeavor. Yeah. So I think after that, I you know, took a couple of classes at NYU to make sure that this was something that I really wanted to do. Took those classes, that went well, and then ultimately decided that I had enough of Wall Street, quit my job, and went back to graduate school full-time to fully immerse myself in real estate. And when I did that, I went to Columbia, spent two years at Columbia, really immersed myself in real estate, doing internships, really just starting back from the ground up and building myself back up. And then um, found myself, uh, you know, kind of in LA, working on it from the private equity side in real estate for a couple of years at a large firm. And then found myself back on the East Coast working for another large firm doing real estate and development. And through that time, um, I really just kind of actually just focused on learning the institutional side. And I actually left the entrepreneurship stuff alone. I don't think I did any entrepreneurial deals probably for the past, like, call it maybe three, four years. I still manage my property, but I didn't really dibble and dabble in any new deals. And the reason why I did that is because I just wanted to learn the game right? You know, you're learning, you know, you're a rookie. You know, <laughs> you just, you need to just sit down, put your head in the books, learn, get beat up a little bit, figure it out and kind of get some years under your belt and then come out. And then now you can kind of speak about your experiences and what you can, you know, possibly teach other people. Uh, it's kind of tough to teach people while you're learning. You know, some people can, but you know, my strategy is learn as much as you can and then go out and, um, you know, do the entrepreneurial stuff. So that leads me to where I'm at today over the past two years, I, I would say uh, it kind of came between a byproduct of me being in LA and um, networking and meeting some folks out there who are very entrepreneurial and wanted to learn more about real estate and you know, meeting folks in San Francisco and all over the country because my job had led me to traveling all over the country and also reconnecting with new friends and old friends. And I understood one thing was that, you know, Contrary to popular belief, you know, black or minority individuals are sitting on a lot of capital. And the reason we're sitting on it and we're not dispersing it, the reason why we're not dispersing it is because we're not having conversations with people who look like us that can kind of explain to us what's the best ways to disperse it. Everyone else that wants to come in our face and tell us how to disperse money doesn't look like us and we probably really don't trust them and they're probably not really explaining things that are in the best interest for us, but only in the best interest for them. And that, you know, so that kind of came about with Harriet Capital. I'd always wanted to, you know, create my own investment vehicle where we can kind of create group, group economics and just say, hey, look, I can, we can go farther together than me going by myself. I can do plenty of deals by myself, but what does that do for me? Uh, you know, and anyone, you know, you know, you, Matt, and anyone else on the phone, when you guys hang out with me, you know, hey, look, let, let's all have a good time as opposed to just one person just being the person taking care of everything. That's not really like how I prefer to roll. And if I have a skill in this, if I have a skill that I can um, you know, share with my friends, maybe they're not expiring to be a profession like I am, but even the tad, tidbit of whatever I can share with them can get them further along, you know, better for all of us. So we all can grow and we can all learn from each other. And that's kind of where it all comes from. 
and kind of like how you have here this round table of different folks that can share different experiences and we can all learn from each other. And that's how Harriet Capital came about. Um, There's really an individual I met in uh, San Francisco, I think in the Bay Area in San Francisco. And we just, we connected and we just spoke about real estate. And it was just kind of off the cuff. We spoke about real estate. He said he knew some people who also had a similar idea of kind of bringing black folks together, raising capital amongst the black community and then buying, you know, real estate assets throughout different um, markets that represent us. And I said, well, hey, look, I would, you know, I'm all for that. I love that. That's what I want to do. But also wasn't saying I was going to let's just jump into business together. Right. So we spoke, uh, honestly, probably conversations for almost probably more than half a year, maybe like six, seven months. And through my profession, uh, I mentioned is that I'm on the road a lot and I see a lot of different markets and communities and how they're, um, you know, changing and, you know, growing and evolving. And I come across a lot of deals myself that my firm would never do, but through relationships I have on an entrepreneur level. So the one deal that came, came along, I think it was, uh, I think towards the end of 2019. And this was a, you know, a portfolio of 30 units in Atlanta. And how I viewed that was that I've already done a few deals in Atlanta with my firm. And, and I said, well, hey, look, if I've already seen mm -hmm. institutional players invest in this community, why, why, why can't we invest in this community? It's already our community. And if they're willing to put hundreds of millions of dollars in this community and there's assets here to buy, we should be following the footsteps of the institutional players that are investing in these communities. And so that was a thesis that we rolled out for our first deal in Harriet Capital. Uh, we raised, you know, amidst the pandemic, we raised about half a million dollars to acquire this $1.2 million uh, property in Atlanta, Georgia, um, in the city of Vine, in, in Vine City, just about a mile outside of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And, you know, for us, it was a win-win because, yes, we weren't able to acquire all 30 units because of the pandemic and capital raising got slowed down a little bit. We actually had a, we actually had slated to raise about 1.2 million, but, you know, a lot of capital um, pulled back because of the pandemic and they weren't sure, you know, how the markets would go and which is fair. I think, you know, they made the right decision for, for themselves and I always encourage people who invest with us um, to make the best decisions for themselves. And if that decision is to invest with us, then great. If it isn't, then, you know, no, no pressure. Um, and, you know, I think personally, you know, we did that deal. It was a successful deal. It's going well now. And also through Harriet Capital, we just try to educate. Uh, I think the biggest thing is we don't come knocking at your door saying, hey, invest, invest, invest. We're like, no. Let's educate. We send articles, I think, on a, at least a monthly basis on where people can go for real estate resources. We just we're in the midst of finishing a master class where we're teaching about, I think, five to seven individuals kind of how to go through a real estate deal real time and have those basic mechanics to understand and, and, and not get, you know, derailed by certain terminologies or certain struggles that happen within, you know, doing a real estate deal. And, you know, our whole thesis is that the more people that we have armed with just understanding the basics of real estate, the better we all are for like just simple things that understand that a commercial real estate property is four units or more understanding that real estate goes beyond just owning your home, go understanding that you can have your own home and your investment properties, or you can partner with a friend 
on an investment property and have cash flow that essentially live, has you living rent free and mortgage free. Um, understanding where REITs are, understanding you know how to invest in a fund, or understanding what development projects are, and just understanding just even just understanding how to manage tenants and rent rolls and and doing fix and flips. Um, you know, amidst the pandemic itself, Harriet, aside from Harriet Capital, uh, you know, I was, you know, I've been here in Jersey uh, probably for the whole year of 2020. Um, I haven't traveled much for work and it's kind of really put me, you know, hunkered down in my home base here. It made me really side to the walls of that's around me and really see, hey, look, what can I do here while, while I'm here? And that led me uh, to raising, you know, through friends and family, probably, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to do a couple local fix and flip deals here in East Orange. And, you know, and that was literally just saying, hey, guys, yeah, we're in the midst of a pandemic, but let's not get sidetracked. Let's put some money together. Let's buy a couple properties here locally in the neighborhood. Um, let's fix them and let's flip them and let's get out. And I typically haven't been very open to that strategy uh, because I'm just, you know, the way I learned real estate was through buy and hold or, or develop from the ground up. But the fix and flip strategy works in, it works, it works, it doesn't work all the time. And I think part of understanding the whole, the whole gamut of real estate is understanding when different strategies work. There's certain times when you should buy and hold. There's certain times you should fix and flip. There's certain times when you should develop. And the fix and flip strategy works now because there's a limited supply for, for, for real estate. Um, because because uh, of the pandemic, they stopped building homes. And now people need places to live. And now there's a supply constraint. And now is the time to buy old houses and fix and flip them because now there's the supply constraint. And then now the prices are going up because people need places to live. People are leaving the city and relocating to the suburbs. And so I, and I don't want to get long winded, but I said that to say is that, you know, real estate is a powerful tool, something that I think everyone should at least understand at the very basics. And I think at the very least, no matter it's real estate, whether it's venture capital, whether it's um, you know investing in stocks, you know group economics and sharing information and investing together can always take you farther. Uh, and you can do deals on your own by yourself, but don't be afraid to share information. That's one thing that I always try to um, push to individuals around me is that listen, information hoarded is never good because a depletion of information doesn't help anyone. This is why you go to school. This is why people get educated and other minority, other groups or other ethnic groups um, do not hide information, um, at least not to the extent that we do. They share information, they help each other to the extent that they can. And I'm not saying share with everybody, but at the very least have a group of people that you share with, a group of people that you can build with and have that positive ecosystem around you. If you're going at it alone, then maybe you go far. But uh, from my experience, I, I see that you're better suited if you have the right people. Man, I'm sure we got a thousand questions for you after that. But um, before I get into those questions, I really want to say that um, the experience that you've gone through seems to have um, allowed you to see a lot of the um, ups and downs of what it is to educate others. And I think that's what we're you know looking to perform as a platform to educate. How do you view, what, what struggles have you experienced in the process of even educating people? with the knowledge that yeah. you have. 
it's, it, I mean, for me, it's tough, right? Because I have to break things down back to the basics. So for me, educating people, educating anyone is a learning process for me. So as much as they're learning, I'm learning, I'm learning to, you know, take it back to, you know, day one, when I even, you know, 10 years ago, when I first started learning about real estate. And sometimes I go at lightning speed, and I just talk to things and people like, wait, what the hell did you just say? Uh, so I think that's kind of the um, patience and just breaking things down where people can understand it. And I'm learning that now because now I'm actually teaching people and um, I'm responsible for what they learn. And, you know, for me, that's, I take that seriously because I don't want someone to go out there and say they learned the wrong thing from me. Um, it won't show, you know, show won't show favorably. So I, I would definitely say patience and um, just understanding how to break things down. I like analogies, so I, I try to use analogies a lot where people can um, conceptualize it. And, you know, you don't rush the process. It took me a while to learn this thing. And, you know, I learned it through good experiences and bad experiences. And sometimes you have to teach people enough to go out into the world and have some type of experiences, let them get beat up a little bit, and let them come back and, and talk about it. Because if you keep hand-holding people and just teaching them and teaching them and teaching them and never putting them out in the world and allowing them to have experiences, then they'll never actually learn. You can't, I, I never, people say book smart. I, I've never really been book smart. I learned through experiences and I'm more street smart. I, I mean, I know I should read more, but I'd rather go out there and get beat up a little bit and, and learn that way. All right. I'm open the floor up to, um, you know, me and my team, my man, Dries, I'm gonna let you lead the questions off. Yo, you hear me? Yeah. Uh, yo, um, that was, a. Uh, I feel, I feel like you have, like just off that intro, I feel like you have an immense amount of experience. Um, and like, I'm uh, first. I want to say I commend you for you know, even even putting that energy out. Like you know, wanted to educate and inform my people. I spe I feel like especially now the climate, people are open to information. They're you know finding finding out things weren't exactly working in our favor before, or we knew it, but now we. I I don't. I, I feel like in a the space, there's people that are really. Uh, applying the idea of making change to their lifestyle. Um, but the first thing you, you, you mentioned a couple of things that I wanted to talk on, but the first thing I wanted to ask on was the masterclass. Um, is, can you give us like a roadmap or like a quick, like idea of what that looks like? Um, I just, and I'm asking that because I'm kind of, I want to Yo. They probably knew. It, it's interesting because a lot of people don't know the difference between residential and commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. uh, and and the, I, honestly, the difference is, is that, you know, commercial real estate is anything that is less than four units. So a two to three family home is residential. Um, a five, a five unit commercial, a five unit building could be commercial. Uh, you know, office and retail, um, you know, buildings are all commercial buildings, you know, office buildings are commercial buildings. But, you know, when people say commercial real estate, you know, it, it's literally, it, you know, it could be the 10 unit building that you live in. It could be the, you know, 20 unit loft style apartments that you live in. Those are all commercial units um, and they're viewed differently and taxed differently by the municipality of your, um, of your state. But, I would say the master class starts with someone who's at least tried real estate before. Um, novice is just someone who doesn't know anything about real estate and they assume that 
you know, um, they assume that what I do is I sell homes, right? Like that's what, that's what I would say. I get that a lot. I tell people I uh, work in real estate, they're like, Oh, can you get me a home? And I'm like, I absolutely cannot. <laughs> I, I absolutely cannot get you home. Um, you should probably talk to a real estate agent or talk to a broker. Um, they can help you, you know, find a home. Uh, so I, I would say that's probably, you know, an extreme, you know, ex, um, example of you know, level of education or understanding. And how the master class will work, I don't know if the other question, how the master class will work is that we would start with, um, we go through, well, we would start with kind of just the jargon, like, you know, I don't want to go through all the, the jargon, but we would take them through a pro forma is what we would call as like kind of an analysis. Okay. And typically with real estate, you get a lot of information, you get square footage, you get units, you get location, you get rental income, you get expenses you get literally like an income statement of what this property can produce. And you take all of that and what we call in the industry is a performa. And the performa is allowing you to make assumptions on what you think the future will look like for this property. And based on what you think the future will look like for this property and what the market is currently telling you, it will tell you whether or not it should tell you whether or not this is a good investment. And so we would, you know, walk through those assumptions and how to think about that and where to get certain data from, you know, on the, on the free, you know, you know, much free data as you possibly can and get them comfortable with some of the basic terminology, like an NOI is like net operating income, uh, gross rental income is income that you, you get day one and then net rental income is less any, not less any expenses, but less any uh, vacancy. So your gross rental income, if it's safe, if you have five units, your gross rental income would be whatever you charge for rent multiplied by those five units. But if you have any vacancies, like say for that month or for that year, you had maybe two to three weeks of vacancy or month let of vacancy, you're not getting all that gross rental income at the top. So there's a net rental income line item that comes below that. Mm-hmm. And that's what you really got for the year minus whatever money you lost that days where the unit was unoccupied. And then you have all of your expenses that are below it. And then you kind of get to what you have as a net operating income. And you would take that number and below that, you would take that number and say, okay, well, okay, this is what the property is producing before I have to pay my mortgage. And what you would hope is that when you have your, when you, the, whatever mortgage you have on a property is less than what your net operating income is. And if it's less, then you walk away with some money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it's more, then you're underwater and then now you have to pay the mortgage more money. And then now your, your property is not producing enough income for you to cover your mortgage. And you don't, you don't ever want that. Um, and no matter what property um, or asset class you're dealing with, you know, you never want that. So we kind of walk through, you know, all the line items and that and it's, that's kind of the basic um, example of it, but it gets a lot very granular and timing and all that. And we make sure they understand that. And then from there, we'll go into live deals. So we'll pull up a deal on Zillow or Redfin. We'll, and we'll kind of walk them literally through a deal and go through like that performer analysis live. Um, allow them to ask as many questions as you can, give them quizzes, and keep going through deals in different markets, to be honest. Uh, real estate is one of these things where it's repetition. And you have to, you know, if you really want to be good at it, unfortunately, you have to do deals. Um, you have to keep going through deals, hopefully you have some successful deals, 
Um, but there's nothing wrong with unsuccessful deals. There's nothing wrong with going out there and bidding for a deal and losing or bidding for a deal and knowing that you probably can't afford the property, but at least understanding how the process goes. Um, and, and yeah, and we try to disarm them with that, get them going and then open ourselves up to any um, consultations that they may need as they're going through the process. But another big thing about that, as I hear, listen to myself speak, there's a lot of different players within real estate. And I think people uh, don't know who the players are and they miss a lot of steps when they don't know who the players are and mm-hmm. they don't know how to assemble the right team whether you need a lawyer, you need an accountant, you need um, a general contractor, you need uh, an architect, you need um, a broker, uh, you know, then the list goes on and on and on and all of them cost money. And if you miss one of them and don't get the right one for one of those things, they could really uh, mess up your real estate deal. Uh, so I think, you know, between the, the analysis and having the right team are two large components that we try to get everyone to understand um, when they're going after a real estate deal. That's that, uh, that's, that's loads of information. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask one more question and then I'm going to pass. Um, uh, is there any uh, specific resources, books, or whatever that you think are like good for people who are on the, on the beginning sides of getting into real estate, whether that's residential or, uh, commercial or uh, you mentioned uh, buying and flipping houses, like knowing the difference, any kind of information like that that you think is a good a good start or a person maybe, I don't know. Just anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, um, there's a site I, I usually recommend. It's called Investopedia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, can, I can send you guys the link. Um, it's like a, a real estate 101 guide. Um, there's a couple, I can check out for some, um, beginner real estate books and that's a good question. I should probably have more of those, um, in my, in my arsenal. I, I'll definitely send something because a lot of the books I have are all, um, what's the, what's the terminology, all like my educational books from school. So mm-hmm. they're very dense and very like taxi and all that stuff and probably not like the best way to learn real estate, um, for, for, for for someone who's not trying to be in a professional standpoint. So I'll, I'll send, I'll follow up with the link for Investopedia with the real estate guide where I think you can get a high level understanding of it. And then there's also uh, another, uh, another website. Um, I'm drawing a blank to it, um, but I'll send it. I'll, I'll send it. It's a good question. I'll, I'll send like a few links before the day is out. And Thanks, I'll think of any books um, I could recommend as well. Too. Oh, good. I appreciate it. Thanks boss. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm jump in. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, so uh, I appreciate everything you said, and and uh, I got a ton of questions. But my most, my most, uh, my first question is: You said that you like to um, learn first and then educate, which I really respect. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and try to get as much from that as possible. I ask you: What have been the the three most uh, valuable lessons that you would say you would tell someone that you learned? Um, before you began to educate, and I asked three because you just gave us one, which was knowing all the the players and what they do and how to utilize them. So I understand that, but like based on not just having the knowledge, but more so maybe from experience, what would you say have been the best 
It's like you sound like you like to get beat up so you can learn that lesson. And that, I think that those, that's where the most valuable lessons are. It's like, you know, if I got punched in the face because I walked around that corner, I can tell you don't walk around that corner, you won't get punched in the face and I can save you. So what would you say would be the most valuable three lessons that would be a takeaway? Um, I mean, in terms of, of what I've learned and then like teaching or just kind of like three lessons that I you know, would recommend to anyone more so based on your experience so things that you yeah. not educational download but more so mm -hmm. like you know what i mean the experience like like this experience has taught me to move in this way shape or form or whatever the case mm -hmm. more so the mistakes is, is what i i like to learn from people's mistakes the things that they mm -hmm. would tell someone that you know had i known this i would mm -hmm. have moved a little bit differently mm -hmm. yeah look i think with real estate you know to be completely frank you got to one, you got to get in it. Um, I think I've, throughout my time, I've heard so many people say, they, they talk and they talk. And my dad always say, you know, you know, people will talk a lot and people will say the things that they plan to do, but they won't actually do it. And I, I even have good friends of mine. They say like, man, I'm really, I'm, I'm going to get this real estate property. I'm going to do this real estate thing. I'm going to do this. And I'm like, just do it. Just literally just do it. I, I just, literally execute it and do it even if you get it wrong just do it because if you keep waiting what are, you, what are you really waiting for and i think we as a community we just think there's this perfect time mm -hmm. to get in the game and we're like when when this happens and that happens then i'll i'll i'll, I'll get in real estate and there really isn't any perfect time just get in there maybe you'll lose some money be okay with losing um, you know, that's one of the, the things I learned very early on is that you have to be comfortable with losing. You have to be comfortable with the worst case scenario. If you, uh, and that's one thing I tell a lot of people, you got to, you got to be almost very comfortable with the worst case scenario. And that will help you lead through most difficult situations because within real estate, if you're in it for the long haul, you will have some bumps and you will have some days where you're like, you know what, I'm done with this thing. I'm out. and you know, you have to reassess where your goals are and where you want to be and kind of stick with it. Um, and then be patient. Uh, I mentioned that before. And then also you're not going to get rich overnight. I don't know how many Instagram posts, I don't know how many people have like tried to say, Hey, look, I'm going to do this. And like, I'm in real estate and I own X, Y, and Z amount of units and I've got money. And that is the farthest thing from the truth. Because the problem is, is that it doesn't matter how many units you have. If those things if sorry, can you, sorry, I had an incoming call. If if those if 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 those units, like I mentioned before, aren't producing you revenue, and you don't have enough, if you don't have enough net operating income, then I'm, who cares how many units you have? I know plenty of guys with fifty units, and I know I know the same guys with ten units who make more money than the guys with ten units than they do with fifty units. And, that, and and that's because the guy with fifty units is just buying is just buying doors. And he doesn't care. He just wants to say he owns 50 units. And that's the wrong way to view real estate. Uh, so I would say get in the game. Don't wait. Uh, know, I always also say know your market, right? Do deals and do, do, do deals and markets that you know. Uh, you know, I, I, you won't find me in, um, I don't know, you won't find me in Washington, D.C. trying to do real estate deals because I'm not from there. I don't know the area that well. And if I do do a deal down there, I'm going to do it with someone who knows the area. So I'll, you know, call up Matt and say, Hey, look, what's going on in Be more. 
you know, that's what's 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 a good neighborhood? Where where do you go hang? Where do you hang out at? Where do you eat dinner at? And try to pick his brain on where I should probably think about real estate investing before I even go down there. I'm not going to pretend like I know it. So a lot of the deals I've done has been in the Essex County area because that's where I spent most of my time. I know the blocks. I know the local politicians here. I know how to get things done here. And you know, so I just think that's another thing too is that some people think that they need to conquer the whole world, and you don't. You can literally become you can literally become as rich as you possibly want by just hunkering down in your four corners, wherever your 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 um, county is at or whatever you live at, and just buy in that area, and, and you will do well um, because you you know you know the market, and that's the biggest thing I think is very important. Um, so you about to ask something, Q? Go ahead. Um. I know Q said something before about uh, group economics, and I know we all kind of chuckled at some of the struggles of dealing with group economics. And I know that those are some of our um, our biggest unforeseen hurdles that dealing with group economics, typically the, the biggest issues are like-minded individuals. Um, and with our desire to try to accumulate as many or as as big of a pool of group economics as we can what would you say um would be an ideal size for group economics that's something that i always because i i personally have i was born an only child so group economics for me has just not been the number one thing for me to do i've done it multiple times but it's typically been in smaller groups like me and a partner um, and so now with what it is that we're trying to do and establish a, a nice ability to really hone in on some group, group economics, what would you say would be the ideal size for um, real estate, uh, like a real estate group economics team? Um, yeah, I, I, would say, I would say a handful. Um, any, any, um, any real estate endeavor I've I've gone on, and I would say, in terms of my working team versus the amount of people I'm like actually raising capital from. Right. My actual working team, I prefer it to be maybe three to five. Um, you know, probably anything more than five roles and responsibilities get a little, little hairy, and you can easily find people kind of just slacking. But I think three to five works. Um, you know, two, two works just as well too. I think. A lot of the, a lot of um, the groups I've started, it started with myself and someone else, and then it's kind of grown over time. So I think if you're st if you're working with someone that you vibe with and you can get shit done, and you want to bring in a, you know, one or two more people, that works. But um, I think yeah, keeping it, keeping it as small as you can to three to five in the beginning works. Uh, anything more than that, unless you unless you're really really organized and everyone has particular roles and everyone can bring some type of value is important. Um, I, I think the very important thing about, you know, creating stuff like that is that what is your value add is what I always say is that if, you know, if, if unfortunately, if you don't have a value add or you can't bring something to the table, then you can't sit here. Um, I think we're all at a point in, point in time of our lives where, you know, where, where's the value add, especially in your business, you know, where, you know, we're not in high school anymore so you know we're not doing it for the for fun um last question and this this one so I, you 
earlier on you said something about living in LA um, and I know that you're from Jersey I live in LA I'm from Jersey I travel back and forth all the time I'm actually in mm. a new apartment at the end of this month um, mm. and I've been speaking to a lot of uh, individuals who I highly value their opinion and especially who have had individuals who've had this experience um, I guess this may be a little bit of a loaded question because what I'm really asking is do you find, did you find living in LA to be a financial hindrance? Um, a lot of people tell me that the, 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 the state and local taxes being so high, the cost of living being so high, that it, it caused them to not have as much leverage for certain deals and things of that nature that they would have wanted to be able to do. And then one person told me that the ability, the, the plus side of being out there was that he was, no, the downside, the plus side of being back here, he said, was that he was up before everyone else now because he was so used to being late there that he forced himself once he came back over here to try to be up before everyone. And I know I do stocks a little bit, so I know that that has a thing in the market as far as timing is concerned, but I didn't know that, I mean, I'm, I'm sure time of day that you do things does have an effect, but is that a very, like being up earlier, is that a very big key advantage in real estate, I guess is what I'm asking. And are there any key disadvantages from living in LA? Um, no, I, I don't, uh, the time of day you wake up, um, whether you're on the East coast or West coast, I don't think matters when it comes to real estate. Uh, I, I mean, I prefer to sleep if I, if I have a choice most times and not, uh, but unfortunately I have to force myself to get up in the morning and I, I prefer to stay up late. But I think, I think real estate, it's really about relationships. So if, if you can go out there and foster the proper relationships, um, time of day you wake up, what coast you're on, doesn't really matter. I think for me going out there um, a couple of years ago was really about not, for my professional career, it wasn't, it was about not being pigeonholed to a particular market. Um, and real estate on in the institutional side, if you kind of, and, I, and I've worked in New York all my career, so I wanted to have some diversity in my real estate and markets that I covered, which is why I went out to LA. Uh, but I think, from a personal standpoint, if you're living in LA, I don't see how, I think it's a personal thing whether or not the you know, cost of living in LA causes you not to have enough additional income to, um, to invest in real estate. You probably won't have enough additional income to invest in real estate in LA, but I know plenty of people who live in the Bay Area or LA who have additional income who say, hey, look, I can't invest in LA, but I'll go invest in Chicago or I'll go invest in Atlanta because my money can go farther there. Uh, so maybe that's a scenario. If, you know, if cost of living is an issue in LA and they can't afford to invest in deals anywhere, then yeah, I mean, maybe moving to a more um, affordable um, place to live and then having the additional capital to invest is important. Because, you know, I think at this point, and I'm not here to, you know, say what anyone should be doing with their lives or their money, but, you know, if you really want to invest in real estate, then you have to make sure your balance sheet is aligned to allow you to do that. Uh, that was one of the things that I learned very early on from my mentor is that, you know, people keep checking their checking accounts. He's like, I check my balance sheet. That's the difference between me and them. Yeah. I'll pass it on to um, try to get Quayus and Mark on here. Ask some questions really quickly. 
Yeah, man. Yeah, so got- Brian, Brian, first off, it's, it's good to see you, man. Glad to What's up, man? see you doing good things. And more of my questions have to do with, I guess, uh, the decision-making and how you navigate the space. Because regardless of the space we're in, real estate, education, building brands, media, there comes a point where we have to determine what our moral compass is and what we stand for in regards to the deals we do, what we say yes to, what we say no to. So how do you determine, what is, what is your decision-making protocol in regards to, I stand for this or I can't do this because it doesn't benefit who I am as a person or the community that I come from? Yeah, I think that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I don't come across that too often um, in, a per, in a personal standpoint because you know, I don't go after any deal that I don't, I don't, it doesn't personally align with me, right? You know, the deals I'm investing here in East Orange, that's personal for me, right? I'm here, I live here, I understand the market, I understand the community, I understand what they need. Um, Atlanta, you know, a similar thing you know, very historically rich community in Vine City where, you know, Martin Luther King and uh, his wife used to live and very, very much so part of the civil rights movement. So that that connected with me. Um, and most of the deals that I go after, for the most part, I want to make sure that it has the balance of, you know, of, um, of culture um, to some standpoint. Do, do I all, will, will I always get it right? No. I think maybe as long as I'm 75, 25, I'm fine. And, you know, and that's kind of the same thing I take from a professional standpoint is I've seen a lot of deals. I work for a large institutional firm and there's been plenty of times where deals come across my desk and it doesn't align with me morally. And, uh, you know, I, do I always get it right? No, there's been deals. And I think, uh, what is it like South, like South Head or South something in South Carolina or something like that. I forgot the, the, the name of, um, shit. Is it Hilton Head? Um, Quentin, what's what's the name of that uh, town in South Carolina? Hilton Head, yeah, I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, Hilton Head. Um, and Hilton Head is a very, very <laughs> racist. Um, and I saw the deal and I looked at the history and I was like, there's no way I can get on board with this. Like, this is literally... They still have plantations out there. Like, yeah, like, I, can't, <laughs> I can't. Like, there's, there's, there's no way. There's no way I can stand behind this deal. You're not gonna put my name on this. Um, and I've had instances where I got a deal in Minneapolis uh, for work, and this is right outside of where the riots were. And you know, we had gotten so far along with the deal where I didn't have. I mean. I don't run the group, um, you know, I'm, I'm vice president, but I don't run the group. So I really couldn't say, Hey, we can't do this deal. Uh, but you know, when I had the opportunity to let my disappointment be known within what's happening in the community and how this might affect the project, I definitely did. But there's definitely times, whether it's professionally, probably more so professionally, where I have to bite my tongue. Um, I try not to do it too much, but it's real estate. It's, you know, it's their game. And, we're playing in it. And my whole thing, you know, is to have a seat at the table so I can learn the game, break the game down, decode it and bring it back, you know, to us so we can figure out how to penetrate, revolutionize and work, make the game work for us. And so that's kind of the onus that I've taken upon myself. So on a personal level, I take what I learned from the institutional side, bring it to the personal side, 
do those deals and hopefully you can scale up to the means of Harriet capital and do something larger. But it, I do have a moral compass. Um, is it always perfect? No, but I think for the most part, you have to, you have to navigate with what you're willing to, um, to have stand with your name. Um, and I think every, for everyone, that's a little bit different. Some people chase profit. Some people chase notoriety. Some people don't give a damn. They'll just do any, you know, crappy deal. And I'm okay with walking away from a deal if it, if it doesn't make sense um, from a moral standpoint. And on a, on a bigger scale, what would you consider your social mission to be? I mean, you went into it a little bit in regards to decoding information and, and bringing, bringing it back. When all is said and done, you know, your, your children are left with a legacy. What do you want to be known for? Yeah, I, you know, for me, that's a good question. Um, I would want to be known for, you know, someone who was able to not only penetrate kind of that institutional um, platform or industry or whatnot and do well for himself, but also be able to take that and make sure everyone else does well for them. So my success would be like, hey, you know, I had this conversation, you guys go out there and do real estate deals and, you know, are, are, are successful with it. And to the point where now we're competing against each other. And I'm like, wow, that's great because now my competition looks like me and not all, all competition is good competition because if you think about the NBA, the NBA is majority, you know, black guys, right? You, you ever hear LeBron saying he has a problem competing against Chris Paul or competing against Paul George or Kawhi Leonard? They're all boys, right? It's a league, it's a competition, but they're all winning. There's enough for all of us to go around. So are we going to win every game? No, but they were all going to have a good time. We're all going to make money or make, not just make money, but help, you know, enrich our families and our lives. And I think that's what is important to me is that, you know, if, you, if I look back at this, you know, 10 years from now, you know, how did I help folks who look like me um, do well in this industry that's very hard to penetrate and not just do all for one or two deals, but do all for a long period of time where now you can teach your kids the game, right? And you can have the conversation with your kids when they're, eight, nine, 10 years old, and you can take on the project because that impacts, uh, that impacts their life, things that they see very early on. So yeah, I, I would say that, that that's probably what's important for me. And that's what Harriet Capital is kind of built upon is that, you know, Harriet Tubman, you know, led the slaves out of, um, out of bondage, right? And, you know, for me, I'm, I'm no Harriet Tubman, but the thought is, is that if I can take the information and share it with the masses and also help, um, us build skill sets that we don't traditionally have also and also allow keep you guys you know within your day jobs then that can free us from this bondage of thinking well we can only live in certain neighborhoods or we can only you know do one or two real estate deals you know i want all of us to at some point say look you know i've got this portfolio i've got that portfolio and let's and let's trade because the biggest thing that you know they do that we don't do is that one of them has uh the asset the other one has another asset and say listen let's just trade assets and make money right and that's literally what they do they just you playing a game monopoly and say hey i'll trade you this we'll trade you that and they all win because it's all leverage at the end of the day they have a relationship with the banks and they say hey look i bought this for eight hundred thousand. i want you to buy this for me for 1.2 i want to make four hundred thousand off of it and then i come back and say okay well i'll do the same thing for you and then everyone just wins. And then you just carry this debt, but the debt really doesn't matter because the debt's being serviced by the property, not the individual. 
And actually, and the debt doesn't even sit on the individual's balance sheet. It sits on some bullshit LLC's balance sheet. So it doesn't even affect the individual, which is why these guys are so are able to bankrupt so many times because they're not bankrupting themselves, they're bankrupting the LLC. So, yeah. But yeah. Appreciate that. No problem, man. But I, this is great, man. And I um, appreciate Quentin for putting this all together. It's definitely great to see all familiar faces again. I do have to hop, um, but happy to hop on the horn again and talk about anything real estate. And um, I'll definitely send out an email to Quentin um, later today with all the important resources I think would be good to get everyone here uh, rocking and rolling and, and my information as well. So always feel free to reach out, call, text if you have any questions regarding this stuff. So. Thank you so much, brother. Um, we do know no a lot to do, and I think a couple of others do too as well. So I definitely do appreciate yeah. the time. Um, I want to just shout out Harriet Capital. I believe that is the source that we want to support. And so um, please, you know, inform us, you know, however you can via email on whatever it is that we can do to support your um, endeavors going forth. And um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing I would say with that is that, you know, we're looking to grow our email list and, and our, and our um, people that we can touch with. So um, to the standpoint that, you know, you guys can share, you know, something that's on the page or share an email and have people sign up on the page. We are trying to hit a certain uh, level of email addresses because we do want to keep sharing this information over and over again. And the only way we can do that is if we have, you know, contacts and warm bodies to send it to. So, yeah, that's a great way to help. Say less. You can count on us to go ahead and definitely spread the word. That's one of our favorite things to do. So, Appreciate it. Thank you again, brother. Please be safe. Right. I mean, wear your mask. No Wash them hands. <laughs> As always, right, man, man, good to see you, bro. We're definitely going to try to catch up soon. Definitely, man. Take care. Have a good one. You All too. Right.